Okay, we're reading from uh, Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. Um, Imitating Christ's humility. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others, love, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Okay, let's pray for John as he gives God's word. Lord God, we, we pray for John as he gives your word to us. I pray that you fill him with the Spirit, so that in turn we may be filled with your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you will fill us today with your spirit, from your word, in a new and special way, that we might know you in this special way forever. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. True Christians are captivated by a story and the story of Jesus. And and when they are captivated by that story, they're compelled to live that story. It's not something that is simply an academic thing that they tick box, but it's something which filters through to the life that they live. And and that reading um, speaks about that. That there is a connection between what we believe and my, they're great statements about what we believe and how we behave. Um, there is something um, very beautiful about authentic Christian living. There is something that is not pretty about pettiness and inward-looking uh, people that um, have no interest in, in 
anyone other than themselves. So here we have a, a picture of, of great beauty, great beauty in the lives of those who are Christians and great beauty in the life of the one who is at the heart of Christianity, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul speaks to the people in Philippi and he speaks to us. And he, he says that if there are these things that are true about our lives, well then there ought to be um, something different in our lives. If we are united with Christ, Paul says, um, if we have uh, a connection with the Lord Jesus Christ and his story, well then, um, we ought to be different people. If we have um, comfort from his love, if there's an echo of God's love in our lives, and, and God is described in another New Testament letter as love. God is love. God is a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and when he works in people, he draws people together. He draws people to himself, and he draws people together in community. So if, if you're united with Christ, if you have received any comfort from my love, and if you have any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, fellowship means to participate, to have a share. Um, if the Spirit of God has awakened you, if the Spirit of God is alive in you, well, then there'll be certain consequences says Paul and if there is any tenderness and compassion now we live in a brutal world don't we we live in a world that's been desensitized by too much information uh, too much exposure to to violence um, to the crude to the base if there is any tenderness and compassion we look around the world and we can understand where the nasty bits come from. Where is, there, where is the origin of tenderness and compassion? Well, um, in the heart of God, in the heart of God revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. If these things are true, if you've had an experience of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit united with Christ feeling the echo of God's love in your life, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and that's tenderized you. It's kind of changed your heart. It's made you a different person. You don't love yourself. You're not the center of your life. Suddenly, another person is the center of your life. Jesus Christ is the center of your life. And what he loves, you love, because his love is at work in you. If that's the case, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Now, I suppose the ultimate question, uh, whenever we do anything, is, well... Why did you do that? What's in it for you? Um, are you doing that because of me, or are you doing it because you want to make yourself feel better? Are you doing this because you want to serve me, or simply that you want to climb on my shoulders and get on? If the beauty of the Christian gospel has been at work in the life of an individual. It just changes the way that they think about themselves, about their choices, about their priorities. Suddenly, they are not the most important person in the world. Suddenly, number one is not me. Number one is him. And number one are the people that we relate to around us day by day. Do nothing 
either selfish ambition or conceit. Don't try to impress people. Um, you know, it's, um, it's ever so easy to live a life that is constantly searching for other people's endorsement. That we don't feel that we have any value, we don't feel that we have any validation unless people are constantly rubber stamping our words, our wit, our choices, our actions, our works. But ultimately, our value, our validation doesn't come from what other people think of us, but what God thinks of us. Don't try and impress others. You've been loved by the living God. What's better than that? What can we strive for that's better than being counted as a child of the living God, rescued by his mercy, brought into relationship with him. In humility, consider other interests, other people's interests, as greater than your own. Now, we do live in a, in a generation where self-interest is a very powerful motivation. That life choices and life generally is, is shaped by what we can get, our advantage, and what serves us in humility. Consider others better than yourself and be interested in the interests of others. Paul says, do this and you make my day. My joy is complete when you have the same mind, the same love, same mind, being one in the spirit and of one mind. Pastor Paul looks at the people in Philippi and he says, it is really beautiful when everyone is on the same page. When we're on the same page about the way we think and what we think is valuable, what an important thing that is for the church at Lansing Tab in these next few weeks. Being on the same page, feeling that we are discovering the mind of Jesus Christ, his direction. What a valuable thing that is. Make my day, says the Apostle Paul, by being like that. And then we come to what perhaps is one of the most well-known statements in this letter and in this chapter in particular. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. How do we know that we're thinking the right thing? How do we know that we're doing the right thing? How do we know we're saying the right thing? Well, one of the ways is that the, the habits and disposition of Jesus increasingly become our habits, our disposition, that we think like Jesus, that we feel like Jesus, that we act like Jesus. If the mindset of Jesus is somehow hardwired into our minds, our thinking, our choices, well then suddenly there's something very different going on in our lives individually, in churches, and in communities. Suddenly people say, well, you know, I haven't really kind of encountered people who, who think and act like that. This is quite different. 
Here's a, a countercultural way of thinking about life. Suddenly, the 21st century um, is not dominated by self-interest, but it's dominated by a concern to please Jesus and to serve others. You know, in this, um, this little section that we've read, as we talk about what it is to be different, Paul speaks about three steps. The downwardly mobile nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. The way that Jesus chooses to be socially downwardly mobile. And that's very counterintuitive, isn't it? In human life, we, we tend to think about how we can be upwardly mobile, how we can drive a better car, how we can live in a better house, how we can have a better job, how we can command a better salary. Uh, life is generally about climbing the ladder, not descending the ladder. People generally want to rise. They don't generally want to descend. Um, but here there's this remarkable story about someone who descends into greatness, someone who climbs down into greatness. We tend to think that um, the, best, the best will always rise to the top, and of course that's going to be true, as we'll see um, today. But for part of our lives, sometimes maybe the, the best seems to sink towards the bottom. Um, in a, a place of active service and willingness to be available for God. There are these three steps. So the one who was equal with God um, suddenly becomes a slave. The one who is God himself uh, becomes man. The one who is life itself dies. There is this downwardly mobile action. The master becomes a slave. The creator becomes a creature. The Lord of life subjects himself to a world of death and dies a cruel death upon a cross. Um, one translation puts it like this from this passage. Imagine God taking off his royal robes and stepping from heaven into the world he created. Just think, the one who despised the human body, who designed the human body rather, became fully human, one with us. Imagine the one whose hand spun the stars into place and whose mind designed the human eye, opening his baby eyes for the first time and seeing his own tiny hand. Just think, the Lord of Lords becoming a slave on a rescue mission he knew would cost him his life. So the one who is the master becomes a servant a long way down. Now in some cultures, <clears throat> there are, there's a fairly simple class structure. Um, upper class, middle class, lower class, underclass. In some cultures, there are, there are classes or castes which are much more complicated. And the idea of kind of being on the top rung of the ladder and suddenly all of those rungs um, springing apart like in a cartoon and sliding down to the bottom of the ladder 
is catastrophe. Jesus comes a long way down. One of the early Christian preachers, Augustine, um, imagined this, and he said that <coughs> um, what greater mercy is there than to have imposed the form of a servant on the master of the world, such that the bread itself was hungry, fullness itself was thirsty, power itself was made weak, health itself was wounded, and life itself was mortal. What greater mercy than that, that which presents to us the creator created, the master made a slave, the redeemer sold, the one who exalts humbled, the one who raised the dead killed. So we celebrated at Christmas a few weeks ago um, this amazing story of a baby born into our world, a smash and grab world, a world of the clenched fist, a world of the unwillingness to be open, transparent, and share, that Jesus was born into the world of the clenched fist, but he was born with an open hand. He comes to serve. The master is born that he might serve. He comes to a world shaped by self-interest, and he comes and he describes himself as a servant, a slave. He becomes one with us so that he can become a servant of us. He said this, son of man has not come um, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many being born in the likeness of a man. He was equal with God, but he did not use equality with God to his advantage. You know, some people, if they've got any kind of bargaining chips in their life, anything that they can trade off, anything that gives them advantage in life, they, they milk it. They, they milk it for all it's worth. If they've got the credentials, if they've got the membership in the right club, if they've got the assets and resources, they make sure that those things open doors for them. They use those things to their advantage. Hey, there's been talk about whether Harry and Meghan are going to be just Harry and Meghan or whether they're going to um, be... Her, his or her royal highness, whether they're going to be a prince, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of a big deal, isn't it? That those things kind of um, impress people in different places. Jesus, equal with God, did not use his equality with God to his advantage, but becomes one of us, a real human being. A real human being who needs to breathe to live. A real human being who's subject to our illnesses and death itself. A real human being living in this real human world. He became man. Now, for 50 years on and off, I've been interested in another 
otherworldly visitor, Doctor Who. In the last episode of Doctor Who, um, it ended like this, with the Doctor talking about the possibilities of human beings. There's one possible future. It's one timeline. You want me to tell you that Earth will be okay, because I can't. In your time, humanity is busy arguing over the washing up when the house is burning down. Unless you people face facts and change, catastrophe is coming. But it's not decided, you know that. The future is not fixed. It depends on millions of decisions and actions and people stepping up. Humans, I think, you forget how powerful you are. Lives change worlds. People can save planets or wreck them. That is the choice. Be the best of humanity or, or else. Lives do change worlds. They do save or wreck planets. And of course, Paul is writing about a life who has changed our planet and the way it thinks over the past 2,000 years in the lives of so many people. Jesus is the one who is the game changer for human life. People can save or wreck planets. Now, we've seen people wreck planets. 20th century with its two world wars. Uh, The latter part of the 20th century with uh, so many millions dying through genocide. The loads of money culture that that, that thought money was everything and, and anything was worth giving in order to get it. A cruel world, a twisted world, a distorted world. Yes, we've seen what can wreck it. But Jesus can save it and save us. And he does. What a remarkable thing that is. The downward, mobile, downwardly mobile step of Jesus moved him from servant to man to dead. Jesus was killed in the line of duty. Jesus died upon the cross. Again, uh, someone translates it like this, willing to do whatever it took to save us. He humbly accepted a criminal's execution, nailed to a Roman cross. His life ended in slow agony. Jesus becomes nothing, so we can become somebody. Obedient to death, even death on a cross. Uh, The one who is most honoured, equal with God, suddenly dying upon the cross, the place of greatest human shame in the Roman Empire. A long way down, all the way down to death. Love and obedience kind of go together. We've been, been doing some marriage preparation for Charlie and Matt and Laura and David, and one of the things we've been saying is that Love is not primarily a feeling. Love is an action. Love is an action that chooses to be a different person for another person. And and Jesus, he shows his love for us through his obedience. We owed a debt that we could not pay. He paid a debt 
that he did not owe. He was obedient to death, even death on the cross. He was constantly obedient through his life. He never disobeyed his father like we do. He died not because he was somehow having to deal with his own crimes and misdemeanours, but died for our crimes and misdemeanours, our breaking of God's law, our sins against a loving Heavenly Father. Now, today, this Jesus can be missed in the crowd. He can be like a, a light that's kind of dimmed down with a dimmer switch so that we don't see the, the wonderful light of his love and goodness and sacrifice. We don't see the, the creator of light revealing light and drawing us to himself, inviting us to himself. There will be a day, though, when this bulb, this light, will be turned up to its very highest setting and it will illuminate the whole of the universe, illuminate every human being on the face of the earth. Uh, we're told that the one who died upon the cross and appeared to be nothing will be highly exalted, be given a name that's above every name, the name of Lord, and that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to confess him as Lord. Every knee bowed, every tongue confessed. Some people really gladly, this is my saviour, he's been in my life all of my days. Some people, with a, with a sense of fearful resignation, I've backed the wrong horse. I've lived for myself, I've trusted my own wits, I've rejected the idea that there's a supernatural, that there's any need to commit myself to Jesus with a fearful sense of resignation, recognizing that we have been wrong and that this is the beautiful one, this is the trustworthy one, this is the delightful one who should have absorbed all of our attention, all of our affection, all of this time. Our carol service we mentioned, um, the the singer, Kenai West, who released an album at the end of the year called Jesus is King. Remarkably, going into Billboard at number one on, on the day of its release, what was, what's special about the, the album is that every song is about Jesus. Simple songs about faith in Jesus. Now, so that the carol service, we, we can't read people's hearts. We don't know people's motivation, and it's often very difficult to... Um, to say whether someone in the public eye who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord is, is genuine or not. But it is remarkable that on great public spaces um, around the country where he was performing, this was the word. It wasn't come and see Cain West, it was Jesus is King. And the, the last song um, on the record um, contains those words that we had in our reading, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, every tongue shall bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Now certainly that's the right message. How much it's been a transformative message for, for him, we don't know, but it is a transformative message um, about Jesus being king, because that's what he is. And that's the issue um, for human life today. Who is king of my life? 
Am I king of my life? Is Jesus king of my life? Who is in the driving seat of my life? Jesus or myself? You know, a few years ago, um, we, we did a, a series called The ABC of Christianity. And, uh, and Sue said that she, she found it really helpful um, when I put up these words on the screen. Three words, three very simple words about the response that we make to the message of Jesus Christ. Accept, believe, and commit. And, and it seems as though many people are on this kind of trajectory when they um, think about the message that we've just heard about Jesus. Some people are at the point where they accept these things. They recognize that there's something in this Christianity, there is something about Jesus that simply cannot be confined to fiction. That there really was a man called Jesus. He really did say the things that he said. He really did die. And there is good evidence to suggest that he was raised again on the third day. They accept those things um, as part of what they, they think. And particularly if you've been brought up in a, in a Christian home, um, these are things which we, we can accept. Of course, you know, when we go to school maybe, and uh, we're exposed to, to, to other, other forms of thinking, maybe these things can be challenged. But these are the kind of things that we've kind of heard about with our mother's milk, we've heard about in ITAB, we've kind of caught fragments of in church with songs and sermons and so on. And then there is this next step in the trajectory where, where people move on from accepting to believing these things. And, and, and there is a move, there is a difference. It's important to see the distinction. You know, someone um, is standing outside the co-op and said, hey, I've just been able to buy three bars of soap or three um, lots of shower gel, if that's the way you go. Um, look at this, I've been able to get these on special bargain. And you know, these are supposed to wash you cleaner than any other form of soap or shower gel. Um, they'd obviously accepted the, the advertising blurb. But you can't help noticing that when they're kind of gesticulating, there was a kind of real kind of whiffy smell. You know that kind of smell? Kind of one that makes you kind of want to move away from someone in the bus or train? Uh, they've accepted the message, but, but, but clearly it's not become um, something which is part of their real belief system. It's not something that, 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 that they're, um, they're really believing and putting into practice. It's not something that's real for them. So we accept certain facts about Jesus, but the next step is to actually believe those things and to, to trust him, to trust him personally. Are you a believer? That's the, that's the question. Do you believe the things that we've been hearing today? And then, of course, there is that third step, to commit. Um, and, of course, there is something very visual, isn't there, about Paul's statement of what it means to commit. Because... We confess with the mouth and we, we kneel down and confess. You know, you can't do that as an unconscious act. 
You know you've done it. There is a step from accepting to believing to committing, to signing the dotted line, to saying, count me in. This is what I accept. This is what I believe. And from now on, things are going to be different. And of course, there are different ways that can happen, that we signal this commitment. We might go and tell someone in the church, I am now serious about what I have heard in the message of the gospel. I want to declare that I am a believer. We might want to go to someone, might want to come to me and say, well, okay, I've moved through these three steps and I'm ready to be counted in for the baptism service coming up um, next month. Maybe you want to say, I'd like to explore what it means to be baptized. Because baptism is the way to make a very big splash about our confidence in Jesus. I want to commit to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Accept, believe, commit. Now, whoever you are this morning, whatever your circumstance, you're somewhere, somewhere around this trajectory. Where are you? Where are you? If you're going to reach commit, well, just come and tell me about it. Come and tell someone about it, because that's just so important. See, when we think about the message, um, it's not a message for someone else. It's a message for me and you. Uh, and sometimes when I talk to students, uh, I can say that it's really important in thinking about this to think about what they've just heard. What have I just heard? So what? What difference should that make to me today? Now what? Now what should I do right now? Of course, every message ought to have that step of response. What have I just heard? And of course, I'm not going to give you a test. Some of you might be embarrassed to be asked, what have you just heard? What have you just heard? So what? Now what? That's the goal, isn't it? The name of Jesus, every knee bowing, confessing that he is Lord. You want um, to kind of talk to me later, got one of two booklets about what it means to become a Christian, be a Christian, follow Jesus, please come and speak to me and grab one of those. That'd be good. We're going to pray and then we're going to sing a song before communion. And really the message that we've had is the introduction we need to come to this table. And we welcome to the table those who love the Lord Jesus and want to show their love by taking bread, taking wine, and remembering him together. Let's, um, the musicians come back. I'm going to sing a song based on these words, The Servant King, From Heaven You Came, Helpless Babe.